Hello everyone, Zach here from the Carnival of Randomness on behalf of our sponsor, Upsitnik and Associates. In these unprecedented times, we reflect on our future, both in the next few weeks and months, but also the upcoming years and decades. And it's time to prepare for that future. Upsitnik and Associates has been contacted by many healthcare workers, as well as old and new clients, to prepare wills, powers of attorney, and advanced directives, also called a living will. All of you need these documents. So don't say you don't have any assets to speak of, no children or other dependents. Regardless of the circumstances now, you will need a will for today and tomorrow. Al Upsitnik feels so strongly about having wills and other needed documents prepared that Upsitnik and Associates can prepare your will, power of attorney, and living will at no charge, you heard that correct, no charge until the end of 2020. No hidden fees or gimmicks. Al feels so strongly about planning for the future at this time that he is willing to assist you with your future. Trust Upsitnik and Associates, attorneys for 42 years, from the Supreme Court to Alaska and everywhere in between. You can find them online, UpsitniksLaw.com, on Facebook, Upsitnik and Associates, or call them toll-free 1-866-391-3299 to prepare for your future. Hi, everybody. It's Carnival of Randomness, and we're coming here on location from Lucky's Gas Station, which is a portal into other times and dimensions, so we're regular Billy Pilgrims here. And we're lucky. Who did I stumble upon on this? Greg, hi. <laughs> How you doing, Rob? I could, I'm actually going to bring up something. I have not watched a lot of movies lately, but I finally watched Jojo Rabbit last night. Oh, yeah. Jojo's and fun. I really liked it. The thing I've always liked, and I find very difficult, I use the word bittersweetness, where you try to do that line between comedy and serious. Yeah. And you have something and trying to make it work because it can just be silly. But when you have something that's it's the light and dark, and I think it worked very well. Yeah. So I thought Scarlett Johansson was actually like amazing in that movie. I, I, think, I think I watched did... actually watched. I wanted to get my. It's been one of those weeks, so I wanted to just be happy. So I watched Marriage Story. Yeah, no, her, <laughs> her performances between the two. I mean, it really showed some of her range. And... It is, and I actually went back one of my favorite movies. I just like movies about journeys because that's how I've lived a lot. Like when you just go out, you never know what happens and you meet people and you make a connection. So lost in translation. So I went back to watch that. Okay. And I could tell also from travel, the jet lag because I went back because when I came back from London, I passed out for like 20 hours and I was out of it for a week. So I could see the part about never being able to go to sleep, but I watched her progress. Well, watch, did you ever see the horse whisperer? Yes. Yeah, yeah, and I remembered, I didn't know when I saw it, it was Scarlet. Right, right. So and She's in one, uh, American. Ghost World, too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I love Ghost World. Yeah. Anything anything Daniel Close writes, it's like one of those things I can really relate to. Right. And uh, the guy who, well, wrote and directed uh, jo- Jojo, I forget his name. Oh, uh, he did Thor Ragnarok, T.D. Waka. Yeah. But Look him up. Have you seen... What we do in the shadows. Oh, I or, love it. And I yeah. guess they did the TV show. I stumbled across that thing. I but thought, some people. That was like one of the funniest movies I've oh, seen. Oh, and I guess the series. I guess they <laughs> pop up in some other vampire movie, too. Okay. But I, the thing, too, is some people were saying, well, what about Hitler in this? If you're a kid in Germany at that age, you're not going to know what's going on. Right. And you're, it's going to be easy in terms of propaganda. So who are you going to look up to? Right. This goof. Because, yes, we know, obviously. But. You're being taught in school how great this guy is. You have to shut up because you can't speak up. 
So obviously that's the thing. So there's no reason to get upset about it. Plus he gets his in the end. (laughs) (laughs) Well, then the other thing too, is I thought about in terms of how it relates to these times, if you think this year is tough, uh, people have hit it a lot, lot harder. You know, I've walked through, you know, bomb cities in Warsaw after this, when I traveled, and you could see where it was really hit by the war, and all the buildings were destroyed, and we don't have that. We yeah. just have whatever this is. We have just uh, six feet apart. So. <laughs> yeah. So for you, and we have to talk about this besides talking about film. Okay, this year hits. You're in college. All of a sudden, the year changes. What were your thoughts? How did you react? Oh, when, when I was in school. Um, I think my biggest worry was um, I, I was in school 20 years ago, and then I went back to finish school. Uh, it took me a year. And then I think I was, I was – In Virginia, right? I was in school in Virginia, but at the time I was – when they first shut down, I was in actually in Savannah, Georgia. I met my parents down there, and then I was driving back home. I stopped in Charleston, and then I happened to stumble across one of my professors at the barber which was funny because he's kind of bald, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> can't relate. I can't relate. <laughs> but yeah, we he, we because I had read that like UVA had already shut down, and then and then I think Duke shut down, and then we were just like, you know, if they're going to shut us down, and they're saying we're going to be shut down for two weeks, I'm like, this disease is not going to run its course in two weeks. That's like I had heard because a couple of my friends were saying, well, by Easter it'll be normal. My, my biggest, my I was just worried. Like um, I was taking a design class, and I'm like, how's that going to transfer to online? Will it transfer to online? And it's just like I want to finish and graduate and be done with school. So um, the professor made a wonderful transition. Uh, we did a lot of things and we just kind of took photographs of everything we were taking sent into them and it was kind of neat so i had um, heard yeah i had heard about it and i we've gone through h1n1 swine flu whatever this is that is and i saw it pick up momentum and i'm figuring okay i had a concert to go to in albany literally about a week before st patrick's day and obviously in new york city we started hearing about so I was debating. So I went down there, came home. Then we were supposed to do, we did a show the next day. And then I talked about doing our next show. It's going to be around St. Patrick's Day. That's what it, I literally got a haircut on Thursday of that week. And they were literally, it was open, but you waited outside and they had the mask on. They were spraying up and down the aisle, up and down the aisle. So we did that, then everything closed. Right. And I remember going to return library books the Monday after St. Patrick's Day weekend, and it was closed. And that was it. And then we always sat, and that's when the part about true lockdown was, too, when everything was closed. Yeah, Yeah, it was weird. I I stayed down there. Um, I was renting a room uh, from a, a local woman. Um, she worked about six days a week. She worked as a, either a nurse's assistant or a nurse. So it was just basically uh, her dog and me. We hung out. <laughs> and uh, the dog was like my COVID buddy. And she, she got me through uh, She got me through COVID. <laughs> it's when I, your dog, when you're hanging out with your dog during isolation, <laughs> the dog starts talking to you. You have to worry. <laughs> Otherwise, she, it's fine. She was my super buddy. It was sad to leave her. But, you know, I had to come home. So It's like my dad had a dog. He was stationed in the war during World War II in Japan in 1946, and he had a German Shepherd, Duke. And I've seen a lot of pictures of them, and he had to leave the dog with the army because he couldn't take it home with him. Yeah. You always wondered they'll come back to you eventually. It'll come knocking on your door. Yeah. But it was interesting because it, it's never happened to us, obviously, in our lifetime. 
how this has gone and how people reacted. Yeah, no, it's, um, I don't know, it's our version of the plague, so, you know. Yeah, that's the thing. But it's like I think a lot of people have had different reactions and have gone. I've always said you have to adapt to your situation and try to make the best of yeah, it. Yeah, it's just what we're given. we got to do what we do. So. Yeah, and that's the way I see it. You can either yeah. complain, you're not going to make any difference then, and try to get done what you can do. For me, actually, it almost feels like a walkabout where it's like I finally – I've had a lot of issues the last years like dealing with my dad and other things. And I finally got to take a step back and focus what I want to do and get some stuff done. Yeah. I've been able to read books, too, that I've had because I can't go to the library. <laughs> sure. Yeah. I mean, it's just, you know, try to use the situation the best that you can. But then, like, if you were a time traveler and you showed up back here and you saw people going around wearing masks and everything. <laughs> I, like I said, I was glad the bank opened because I've always wanted to go in the bank with a mask. Yeah. That's why I'm always amazed at these people in Texas that are complaining. I mean, they grow up where worshiping jesse james you'd think they'd love to be oh wearing, it's awesome they'd be I able to walk in a bank with a little bandana around their mouth you know i mean it's like they can put their little gun in their house and <laughs> think about it it's, I mean, i've always said this for people we had a protest down on the ridge by me with the anti-mask people yeah we had them and i'm thinking and i also heard i'm getting gassed on the one time i heard about these two guys talking about that mexican there coronavirus <laughs> So the informed public. But I've said the thing, even if you don't like wearing them, whatever reason, these stores are trying to stay open. They're trying to, people are trying to make a living. You know, get Instacart or just do it for them. Wear the thing okay. Yeah. You know, have you seen any incidents? Where people were not wearing, no, I don't go out like. I don't go out very much. I'm not good at it either. I'm supporting myself by being an Amazon driver right now. So, you know, it's just me and my truck and, you know, so it's like I see the people at work, but we all have to wear masks. So, and, um, you know, I'm living with my parents right now. They're both over 70. So I try not to go out because, you know, I don't want to spend the rest of my life thinking I infected my parents. I think about that too. (laughs) And I don't really, in a way, I don't miss it. I miss some of the music, but I always think it'll return and it'll be better than. I've actually thought of doing something solitary like that, like driving for Amazon. That's the one thing I do tell the time on my street by the Amazon trucks. So. (laughs) But have you been diving into any films while you've been. You mean watching films? Yes. Uh, well, actually, I, my when I first got home in the summer, I started watching The Sopranos. Um, so I watched The Sopranos all the way through because I just wanted to watch another TV series. And then lately I've been comparing um, shot setups with different action movies. Um, I compared um, Taken with Born Identity, and, and then I threw in Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. And then, uh, then I kind of took a side tour because I found out there was like couple angley movies i hadn't seen um i found billy lynn's halftime walk which i knew about i couldn't find but i found it on amazon and then taking woodstock which i always thought for some reason was a documentary i watched that for the first time that's have you seen that Do you no know that? oh that's charming it's about it's about this family uh this jewish family in woodstock that's going broke and then the kid who's overseeing everything decides to he's been put in charge of the town council and he kind of organizes uh, everyone to come to, and perform in Woodstock. So it's <laughs> it's absolutely really kind of funny. Uh, Melda Stanton plays the mother. I'm, ah, yes. <laughs> I'm trying to think of who else is in the movie. The, um, the one guy from um, Eugene Levy, he plays a neighbor who owns a cow farm. He's in it. Um, oh, who is the guy who was married to Naomi Watts? Um, Lev Schreiber. Oh, he plays like a um, 
a drag queen that comes out and who's an ex-marine and decides to like uh act as a bodyguard i'll have like, to watch this it yeah sounds... it's it was a very clever movie it's probably the funniest movie Ang Lee i did, did back so. in old television yeah. just because i have them i had my sets of the mod squad mm-hmm. i'm gonna actually go back to watch veronica mars next i think yeah so. the avengers this is the avengers with steed and peel not the yeah, my 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 late my latest addiction is actually ancestry dot com. So we've been yeah, like that's a cool one. No, so we've been exploring our family. So which was kind of neat because uh, we got to learn a lot about my dad's family and um, you find all these different people. We there. always have like my mom said we had the classic relative Ubik in Europe. Supposedly we were related to some count that he kept saying he was going to go back and you know collect his dowry and his money. One of those. Right, right. So we don't know if that's true or not. But I've been really getting into, I became obsessed with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. No, I love that movie. And I really, no, I'm, I've been calling Tarantino's films, they're almost like fables or fairy tales. Sure. They're not, I mean, people will go, well, Inglorious Bastards wasn't uh, historically accurate, nor was Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Sure. It's not the point. Right. Sure. And I think it's also it's a tribute to these, but it's also it is it's a fable. That's why he says once upon a time. Yeah. It's a story, and it's about a bygone era or a genre. Yeah. Well, he was always he's a big Leone fan, and I don't know if you've seen Once Upon a Time in the West. Yes. And then you know I know he encouraged Rodriguez to make Once Upon a Time in Mexico, kind of to form his like the same thing that Leone did with the uh, Spaghetti Western trilogy. And so. I had heard that his favorite movie of all times the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. It's possible. That's I mean, what he said. And I just know I saw it at the Eastman, the the cut that's over three oh, I've hours. Seen, I've seen Once Upon a Time in the West at the, at the Eastman, but yeah. I've never seen uh, and, uh, That's another one. That and I, they said, I don't know, the, the person who introduced said it was Tarantino's favorite yeah. movie. And I just remember I shouldn't have had that drink before it started because I was patting my leg going, Clint, blow the bridge up, please. I don't want to run out. Yeah. <laughs> I lived in Hollywood for under a little under four years, or L.A. anyway, and uh, I worked on set for that time. And it's just watching that movie, it's you really appreciate it if you've just been on set. I was actually on set with Tarantino because oh. so, um, I was working on – CSI for a year and he shot two episodes of CSI that year so it's just yeah when you when you've been on sets like that and it's just and all the people there and all the weirdos in LA too so <laughs> even hearing the stories like Colin Baker told the story about the two doctors where they pranked Nicola Brandt where he splashed her with water and it was a real serious scene so when they showed the movie everybody bursts out laughing because they know what he did to tease her because she was tied up, and he just came, he splashed her with water. You don't see it in the in the two doctors. He did it on a take. Okay. So, but everybody saw the behind the scenes. But that's always cool when you have inside information on that. Yeah. And, you know, you try to incorporate different styles and find your own, too. So one thing we'll talk about, Fringe Fest is happening in a way. Yep, Fringe Fest is coming up, so September 15th through September. And we're doing it virtually, right? Virtual on, I, I had heard they were going to do some things live, but I don't know, you know, I haven't. Really. I would figure maybe in terms of music just outside, maybe like they've done on Chestnut or by the Little, maybe just have limited crowds. I You'd have to look for information. I'm sure there's a site up by now. Yeah. 
I, so. I can't see ticketed events, obviously. Or no, I I don't know that part. I don't know. You know, I've been focused on like we basically all of a sudden they told us like the film that I was submitting that has to be closed captioned, and we had subtitles already made for the film, and then we were like, how does this translate? And what kind of files do we need? So readable ones too. That's basically oh yeah. Well, one of my pet no, just a pet peeve of mine. I, I'd rather watch subtitles than dubbing. But for example, the Emperor and the Assassin. They had the subtitles in yellow. I couldn't read them. Oh. I just couldn't read them because they were just so back against the film. Sure. So I'm like straining going, I can't really read this. Yeah, if they put like a outline around the, the word. Like, yeah. So I'm like bad print maybe or something. I, I watched them. They look readable to me. So so um, maybe what I got was just a bad. I don't. No, no, not that movie. Oh, I, yeah. I just meant the movie, my movie. Oh, I, when I, I watched it, it didn't have the subtitles. Yeah, right, right. Sure. I could, I could, whatever, like the one thing, I couldn't turn it back either. So I'm like, I have to remember this. I've seen the other cut. So right. you've had how many cuts of this? Four cuts in the movie over 10 years. Is this somehow going with the title 3.1 forward's going to continue no, and continue? They, I am I am at ease with this cut. This is actually most of these adjustments we had in 2014, but we we sort of got sidetracked with other prob, uh, with other projects, and then finally in 2018 we started to pick it up again. And I, as a director, are you a pain in the ass as an actor to work? <laughs> <laughs> you mean I'm a pain in myself? Yeah. <laughs> well, my co-star actually. Well, I, you were Lewis, Richard, and one other guy. Uh, Lewis, um, yeah, Rick. I suck with names. Billy, so. Billy Rick. Uh, and I had Rick, my Lewis, notes on Billy, my phone so. and I erased them. <laughs> so I was going, I'm not going to remember the names. I can go, you know the guy with the thing in the sunglasses? Yeah. <laughs> well, my friend who, Russell Rinker, who played the caretaker, he also was doubling me when we were together. I tried to look for um, that. I liked that. He um, he was actually, I one of the reasons, one of the other things I hired him to do is like when I was acting, it was just me, and he was to have him direct me. So you can ask him whether or not I'm a pain. So. <laughs> <laughs> you fired yourself. Yeah. <laughs> but this is a really good movie, and it's very different. Yeah. And I think there's two themes in it. One, you'll see there's a lot of the Greek themes about our futility and life and things, go, and the idea of 3.14. It's like a circle. 3.14 never ends. It's pi. At least we don't think it ever ends. We never got that way. How events come, not chance, but like events in life come throughout life. They interact. Yeah, they're just... And we're sort of futile in life with things. It's like Sisyphus trying to do the boulder. Yeah. So. And I caught a little Billy Pilgrim, though, too, from the- Slaughterhouse-Five, where because you're going through, like, back... Okay. Like jumping, like unstuck in time a little bit. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. So. But do you want like people to see this and sort of, you have an idea you want them to take out or do you want them just to form their own opinion? No, I, I think it's, I would rather have them watch it and it'd be like a work of art. And even if you don't, but those if donkeys, you can't make a specific interpretation, just take what you want. I always them. love because like things I've done, I always try to put those little nods. I caught your Wizard of Oz from Oz with the socks. The socks. Oh, yeah. oh, well. First thing I saw, it's like, where's the house? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I found the socks. I was working in a mo- uh, restaurant in a mall, and I just, one day I started walking around the mall looking for things I could put into the movie, and I found those socks. So I think it was at a Halloween store. But so. the, And I also liked it because in Repo Man, one of the gags I really liked in it was if you go to the refrigerator, nothing's labeled. It's just food. Food. And everything. And I like the signs where you have the signs with the bike or the, the mules. Sure. sure. <laughs> this is what it is, man. So, 
Yeah, I just, with the road signs, it was just kind of like the signs were talking back to them. <laughs> How was your writing process? How about long did, well, uh, where did the ideas sort of pop in your uh, head? It's kind of a trite thing, actually. Uh, I have a friend uh, I went to undergrad with, but he was actually a grad student. Um, he was getting a PhD in applied science, but we we stayed friends over the years, and then he called me up one day, and he's like, oh, I had this neat dream, and he told me the dream, and I was like, Jesus that's like really good. Now I didn't make a direct translation of it. Um, so the original script was just the desert part. Um, I wrote it as a short and then, uh, I was, when I found all the locations, I wanted to shoot the movie. Um, but then I ended up, I was living in LA at the time, but then I'm like, I need to move home. So I moved home for a while and, uh, some people convinced me, you know, if you can turn it into a feature, turn it into a feature. So I tinkered with things, um, obviously the, the structure's a little unorthodox, but that's kind of what I like about it. And then, um, it jumps but, around. <laughs> yeah, it does jump around. You can so. follow it after you get down to the rhythm of it. Sure, sure, thing. sure. I wanted it to jump around less than like Memento did. When yeah. <laughs> I remember watching. And how the characters I remember watching for Memento example, the like first. You have, one, you have one character, and then you have the little kid go by on the bike, then other people see him. Sure, sure. It's like almost like chaos theory where it's running into. Because follow three point one four and also the Greek myths, they'll tell you a lot. I think yeah. about what it's supposed to be about. That was one of the biggest challenges we had in the film. It was for me. You taught to f- me how to pronounce Ixion right because I knew it was Ixion's wheel, but I can never pronounce Ixion. So thank you. <laughs> I knew the myth, but I didn't pronounce you it. Didn't it's know. like well, I you're one of the few that know that myth. So like, but um, oh, I forgot the question you just asked me. Does it matter? <laughs> I don't know. Oh, I think you were talking about accessibility and the myth and everything. Yeah. Like yeah, I think that was one of the biggest challenges with this film. Is yeah, like, you said watch the 3.14 in the well, myth. I'll give you a little hint about what's going yeah, on. It was but. for me to figure out how much I needed to give people help in interpreting the film and, and that was that was one of that's probably one of the reasons why we had so many people. and I also like it's uh, it's one of those little kicks where if you're in a town too and you see the scenes and you know where they were like we've done films ah this is here this is where it's filmed down at Village Gate I yeah. see that and there's good old dog town yeah, right no there. we we used we shot half the uh, half the film in uh, Saline Valley Death Valley Lone Pine uh, National Park um Actually, if you watch Django Unchained, they used a lot of the similar locations. They shot in Alabama Hills in Saline Valley probably about eight, nine months after we were there to to show you how long ago we were filming. So. And I was going to ask you that because my dog had a pee during the credits. So okay. I went outside. So I came back and I wanted to see where it was filmed. And I saw, it's like, where did you film this desert stuff? It's yeah. like, we have a desert somewhere around here. Yeah. And I caught this Canadaga and everything, but I didn't see that part. The desert... Um, we're going to have Lone Pine, California, um, so that's where the Alabama Hills were. Um, we shot in some areas around Lone Pine. Then we shot in um, a part of Death Valley National Park. It was uh, Saline Valley. That's where the hot springs were. That's also where um, the, uh, the the cabin was that we converted into the gas station. So um, Keep an eye out for snakes. Yeah. Keep an eye out. Were there? Did you see any out there? No. It's actually really hard to see a rattlesnake. Yeah, and they want to um, leave you alone, too. Yeah, I, um, but I did a lot of hiking when I lived in California, so I ended up, I think I saw about six rattlers. I think the coolest one I was, it was I was living in Glendale, and I'd walk up through the hills, and I was walking along like a gorge, or I don't know, whatever the channel is, they used to funnel water down to prevent flash flooding. And I'm walking along, the path is right next to that, and I hear something, 
And I'm like, what the heck is this? And I just hear this commotion. So I jump up onto the ridge and I look over. And on the other side, there's this thing swinging back and forth. And it was actually two six-foot rattlers. And I don't know if they were mating or they were fighting, but I watched those things because I'm a bird watcher. I have binoculars on me. And it was like... That's pretty cool. I like seeing That's something I always feed the birds every day. I'm one of those people I go spend money on the good seed. On the good seed. Peanuts, put them in the backyard, and I sit there and watch. So, and what I like is. Do you think they have like a bird catalog? They're like, oh, let's go to Rob's house. He's putting I, You know the what? The morning doves do. The morning doves are stops. Yeah. Because we have morning doves that go around the neighborhood. Yeah. And if you don't put the quality treats off, they blow you off. Yeah, they, but I also noticed like this it's morning. Like the kids at Halloween. This morning, I pretty <laughs> set in my habits. You, you notice like you get into sort of routine so i feed my dog you know go go for a walk come back i will sit so about the time i feed them it's about the same time every day now they're sitting on the deck waiting they're out there they're which is waiting there for it <laughs> they're waiting it's like come on serve it up where is it so yeah and blue jays are i see like one blue, blue jay, jays like peanuts so if you want they come down they will scoop them yeah, run off and get, take them if you want to attract blue jays but one of them start was giving the, peanuts with the shells they do they'll put them in their mouth yeah. maybe take two fly up and you can train them in the backyard where if you throw it to them they will come down scoop it go back up and come down yeah i heard in holland that you, they trained um crows to pick up cigarette butts and then they have like a dispenser. If they if the That's crow awesome. drops the 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 cigarette butt into this mechanism, it'll release food. So I mean, crows are pretty smart, and we have a lot of crows in Russia. Yeah, and so. with grackles, and, yeah. but the blue jays, a couple of them were fighting about it. There's another one who was just picky, who just kept sitting there going, sniffing every one and taking the one it liked. Yeah. But I don't I haven't seen any orals this year. Every now and then you see something different. Yeah. But it's a cool hobby, too. It's relaxing. I think a lot of walking in the woods during this stuff has been very Yeah, it's good. a good time. I wish I – I work a lot. I'm working about 50 hours, so I don't have a lot of free time. But I would have loved to have picked up fly fishing. I've always wanted to fly fish. I've, I've never caught a trout. It's like – No, I, we used to catch – go down by Braddock's Bay and just uh, – there was a thing, thing in a comic book where you got all these things, lures, and go mm-hmm. – and I struggled with the bullhead one time, but I think it would be very zen. It would be very relaxing yeah. to go out there and just yeah, sit there cool. all day and just, you know, watch the tide, like Dock of the Bay or something, be quiet and yeah. catch them or release them or whatever else, <laughs> which would be cool. Because I think there's been a little bit of peace during this. I know we're having the chaos ensued around June. Right. But before that, it was almost like I enjoyed the silence. Yeah. No, it was it was, it was was pretty quiet time, so... And, and it we, was neat. You'd see more people. At least I see it now. More people seem to be walking around the neighborhood. Yeah. They kind of go out and take walks. So you know. I but the thing was, too, movies were closed and everything. They still are. Yeah, I'm, I'm just like doing my top ten list this year. It's going to be tough because I haven't seen anything other than uh, Invisible Man. If you haven't seen that, watch it. I want to. That is that is that is a creepy movie, and I think it's amazing because to me, it's like. It's almost metaphorical in the sense that even though it's this guy who's literally invisible, he's developed this invisible suit and he's stalking his ex-girlfriend. But at the same time, it's to me, it was metaphorical where it's like your memories and your brain. You know what I mean? How they can keep creeping in and, and bothering you. So oh, and anything, like, especially if somebody's like that, you go in your house and something might not have been moved, but you think it might have been. And yeah. you look and go, uh-oh. Yeah. So it's – I that's uh, – that was – that was that's my recommendation so far this year, but you know that's only to like the beginning of March. So it's been a little technical stuff too in terms of directing. Now, when you do the script, 
Mm-hmm. You have the skip. Do you want actors to pretty much follow what you've done or do you welcome a little improv? No, I, I will totally um, – I think it's it's a bad idea to restrict an actor. So it's a combination, at least from what I want from a director. I'd like a director to have a good idea of what they want when they come in. But at the same time, they have to be open because I think there's a creative exploration. You want to utilize everyone's creative And ability. suppose like you get somebody like you think is probably perfect for a role, too, and you just say run with it if they even run in a different direction. No, I will totally cool. tell, like especially, you know, just do what you want in this particular. And if they're off the mark or way off the mark, then I may. You can always like say some, <laughs> some directors don't like to tell people specifically what to do, but when you're on a film set and it's like, you know, time is money on that, it's just like I got, like, in a couple scenes, like, uh, especially the Dogtown scene, the, the girls were kind of off the mark, so finally we were just like, boom, 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 just say it right like that. And, you know, I pretty, so we kind of blended it when we cut it. It was like, a blend of how they did it and a blend of exactly how I told them to do it. So it was fun to edit back and forth between the two different interpretations. And people don't get the technical stuff. If you've never done a movie, you've been on a set, you have your marks, yeah. you have to recut. Now, there's a scene for a movie Getting Personal, and I had a cameo in it. My friend Beth, Beth Bailey did it. It's about a series of people going on first dates. Okay. So there's a couple, and they let us use, I don't know the name of it, it was a place in Menden. They did catering. It was a restaurant. Okay. They let us use it after hours, and it took four hours to do the one meat scene. Mm-hmm. And I remember we had the dessert, and I called it the Leaning Tower of Pisa, because you can't eat it or anything. Mm-hmm. But it's like a, it's a lemon thing. It looks like a little tower. If you watch carefully, it took four hours. It starts to lean. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> It was a pizza? It was a, we call it the Leaning Tower of Peas. It was like a a lemon something, like a lemon custard. And the way it uh, stood up, but it started to get hot, so it was sort of leaning. That's a great restaurant name, Leaning Tower of Pizza. Yes, gotta, I think there's got to be there's one. There's got to be one. There's got to be We're one. Gonna but it's just there. the idea of filmmaking, getting involved with Beth and doing those yeah. and learning the background of it. It's really cool. People don't realize the technical aspects, yeah. the shots. Yeah, I, I came from a theater background, so it was an adjustment to like all of a sudden we start doing films and a lot of it can be laborious and you'd be amazed at how boring it can be sometimes. Oh, that's only four hours for one yeah. shot. It's not all glamour. Yeah, you're just... Like they ask MG about that too because she's jumped between both worlds a yeah. lot. And on theater, you do it, you just keep going. Here we have to say, you might have, if you have a Stanley Kubrick type, you might have 120 takes. Yeah, I, I was on a set of Collateral. Uh, it was a Michael Mann movie, and I Tom think, Cruise and uh, yeah, I think Fox. we were like at five or six o'clock in the morning, and he was just doing this hallway shot, and we was just take after take after take, and we're like, "Oh my god, man, finish the darn film!" Doesn't they get you a little <laughs> bit? Like, suppose you went to see like with friends to see Collateral, and they're watching the film. You get to that scene, they see you put just put your head down. And well, it's not that bad. It's just a hallway. Yeah. <laughs> so. That's cool, though. And like One of the things I've been doing with my friend Kim Draham, because you mentioned that I don't know what our 10 list will be this year. Yeah, I it's really going to be. I mean, I was really looking forward to seeing uh, 10A, or however you pronounce it. Tenet, 10A. I can pronounce it Tenet after David Tenet. It's probably Tenet. So, um, yeah. Anything Christopher Nolan yeah, does. Yeah, no, I, 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 cons- I consider him right now to be the best filmmaker. Um, you know, It kind of jumps back and forth between three people for me. And uh, but he's been kind of on fire lately for me, and uh, yeah, I was looking forward to seeing it. And 
I don't know when I'll see it. So. Well, one thing Kim and I did, and I don't believe in doing lists really, but suppose they came to you from the little and said, well, we're going to have sort of a film fest, sort of indie, but whatever you want. What would be a couple of films you want people to see you think they haven't seen you they might in like? Tw- inland, like the last 20 years? Whatever the ever, heck you want, or... ever you want, whatever you want. Because Kim even chose like Bride of Frankenstein. Um, we both took Wings of Desire. A movie a lot of people haven't seen, I, I love to give to people, is In America. Um, I don't know if you've ever saw that movie. It's uh, it's a Jim Sheridan movie. Jim Sheridan directed like In the Name of the Father and uh, The Boxer. A couple movies. It's about the gangs. Uh, which In the Name of the Father? Or the no, boxer? I know. I know. I've never seen the, the Name boxer. of the Father. Right. The Boxer. Yeah. So. But in in America, it's about. It actually takes place in the eighties, and it's about an Irish family that emigrates to New York City. The father's an actor, and they're overcoming the. Um, the death of the youngest child it was a boy and um samantha morton plays the mother um uh, patty constantine plays the father and then uh i can never pronounce his name dim shim husu um, i know the guy yeah <laughs> <laughs> he plays the neighbor he's an artist you've seen him he's, he's, <laughs> he was uh he was awesome in the movie but it's it's a beautiful beautiful movie a lot of people just have never seen that film uh, so that's one the same year um, actually, a movie came out that I love to recommend to people, uh, which is Girl on the Bridge. I don't know if you've ever heard of this. Yeah. Uh, Girl on the Bridge. I've heard of Lulu on the Bridge. Uh, Girl on the Bridge or Jean-Fils de la Ponte. Uh, is a, uh, it's a French film directed by Patrice Leconte. And the main actress is Vanessa Paradis, who was like the mother of a couple of Johnny Depp's children. And it's just this really, it's all shot in black and white. It's such a beautiful. Oh, I've seen it. I think I have yeah, it. She, she plays this nymphomaniac who's suicidal, who gets um, kind of um, develops this uh, platonic relationship with a circus knife thrower. And it's like, a, it's just, it's just such a neat movie. So One of the ones I always go on about, nobody seems to have seen is Legend of 1900. I haven't it's, seen it It's either. a film, here we go. Yeah. <laughs> it's around 1990 ish, and you can probably okay. find it. It's got Tim Roth stars in it, it's got Pruitt Taylor Vince in it. And it's about a a man who was born on a, a liner, a cruise ship, okay. and he never leaves. Yeah. He just grows up like sort of being a little rat on, and he becomes a, a great pianist. And it's just the whole story of it. That's actually, and he's, he has a relationship. He's almost going to leave, and I forget who the actress is in it. But he's going to walk out, but he never does. Mm. And it's just it's different. There's like a couple of really neat scenes when he's playing the piano, and the piano's on wheels, and it's going around. It's one of those... Where you think, okay, you came up with this plot. It's just really different and really good. Yeah. And it's out there, I'm sure. What was it called again? The Legend, Legend of, of 1900. 1900. Okay. It's got one scene. It's like I'll only say two words, fuck Tim jazz. Roth. So it was pre-Pulp Fiction. Probably. Yeah, it was around 1990. I did, uh, what's, the Gildan, and Gildan Stern, With Gary Oldman, right? Yeah, it was directed, but it was Tom Stoppard directed that movie. Probably wrote it. And obviously. Gridlocked. Yeah. I always liked but this is a very good movie. I've always really liked that. And I did go back to Werner Herzog with the Geary Wrath of God just because it's one of those that Sorry, I, I haven't seen that either. You're throwing you're throwing me for loops. So This is actually it was about a conquistador and I guess he was quite the madman and they went down his quote was he killed his own daughter in real life and he said better that she be dead than a nobleman's mattress. Man. And he ends up going down the Amazon and just getting madder and madder and more insane. Yeah. And I guess he was screaming down the river, I am the wrath of God. And it's Klaus Kinsey, of course. Yeah. 
So I see there are plenty out there. Yeah. But that's a good one, too. It's like I always like those. I actually, you ever have a film, and I just popped in my head just because of like foreign films, that really just made you go give you nightmares or grossed out or anything? Like freaks me out. I, you know I, what, I, I, you know what always still haunts me is I probably saw it when I was like six or seven years old. It was Star Trek Rathacon. And they put those little things in the ears. Oh. That to the my day. That still makes me. That to me, that movie. I used to read Starlog. We sort of heard what was going to happen. I remember that day. Remember the theater on Stone Ridge. Okay. My friend and I. My parents dropped Did us off. Did you grow up in Greece? Or? I grew up in uh, the city then Gates. Okay. So, my friend and I went down to see it. It sold out. So well, we, what, we Stone Ridge. So we got okay. tickets and we went hung around. There's like a pizza place. And sure, I'll never sure. forget the story. The guy said his pet duck got in his pants while he was asleep. I still can't forget that story. <laughs> it's like, okay, how can you make this up? So we go back. We got tickets for like the show after we come back. Yeah, sure. Literally at the end, people were sobbing. Oh. Literally, people were just crying all over the place. You could hear the theater. And I was like trying to say, you know, he's, he's alive. I don't remember the movie that well. I just remember the little things they put in the ears. Well, the things were disgusting, but I mean, Spock buys it yeah. at the end. That's why. I kind of remember it, but I was so young when I watched it. And I remember Starlog saying there were letters. People were very emotionally attached where they felt like this is a real death. Right. And it was just like the public. The one that grossed my friend Kevin Wilcox, and we had to go see it, Pasolini. If you've ever seen his Arabian Nights, I think it's great. Okay. But Sal, 120 Days of Saddam. For a while... You couldn't get a hold of it. I see it's back out on video because there were right problems. And what it was about, to put it this way, somebody ran over Pasolini afterwards because they were so angered by this movie, then backed up to run him over again. Right. It was about Nazis who get a castle in Italy and they torture people. Mm. And I would say now this day and age is pretty tame. Mm. There's more talk, but there's gross stuff. And I remember my friend Kevin, he goes, man, that one guy with the eyes, I had nightmares about him. Yeah. But it was very controversial for the time. Sure. It's one of those. And yeah. it is, just, there's some parts at the end that just make you want to. Yeah, it's barf. amazing when you, like, you know, you you find out, like, what was controversial at the time and now you watch it and it's, like, really tame. It's just how much of an immunity the audience has built up. So <laughs> we get that with theater. Like, you know, you'll read, like, how something was like really controversial back in the early 1900s, and then all of a sudden you look at it and you're like, "Oh god!" <laughs> yeah, we look at these perspectives. Yeah, so but you was... go the different ways where you see some things obviously back there that like in times now wouldn't fly in terms of racism and everything yeah. else. Yeah. I've always said the most racist character I think I've ever seen was Mickey Rooney's character. In character Breakfast. in Breakfast. <laughs> well, they pointed that out in uh, the. Uh, the Bruce Lee movie, you know, he went to that with his girlfriend. Yeah. And they were watching Breakfast at Tiffany's. I don't know, it was dragging the Bruce Lee story. So they actually go watch uh, Breakfast at Tiffany's. In the- That's actually, a lot of my friends say the favorite scene, because I actually laughed my head off at the end of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, the whole Manson scene. I was, like, dying. Yeah. But a lot of my friends like the Bruce Lee scene. Yeah, well, they wouldn't. I think that what they wanted Tarantino to cut that out to show it in China, and he wouldn't. So, that's my phone going off. Which phone. Says it, right. that's I, always carnival of randomness. It yeah. doesn't matter. But that's like the funniest scene, and everybody you don't expect it either because Bruce Lee's built up so much. Right. <laughs> so yeah, no, it was a great scene. This so. one, 
no, Bruce did not get knocked over. <laughs> and that's the thing. He brought everything in at that time. You really felt the time period. Yeah, no, I think he did a great job. I was amazed at, like, some of the areas of Hollywood that he had to be shut down to shoot that. Like, it was just... It's kind of like La La Land where they, like, it shut down an entire freeway. It's like traffic's bad enough there, and now we've shut it down to shoot 10 hours of a movie. Well, I so. guess when I have movies of the summer I seem to watch every year, and one of them is American Graffiti. Okay. And I'd recently read the bio of George Lucas, and they said they shut, they shut down whole roads, and they got all the classic cars to put on there. Yeah, yeah it's, it's really neat. I got to work on The Aviator. It's like doing a period piece is can be so amazing because you almost kind of feel like you're set back in that period so. i like i really like the aviator too yeah. that's not one of the ones scorsese gets a lot of credit for right but i liked it the other thing about that too is can you imagine being bombed like guys are buzzed or out on night on the town and they walk onto the set and they don't realize and they're back in the 1930s yeah that would be a movie in itself right that would be funny. But in terms of stereotypes, too, another really bad one, there's a, a very old Wizard of Oz. It's got Oliver Hardy as the cowardly lion. Okay. And if you want a racist character, there's a character called Jihau Black who sits in a field with a watermelon. That's in Wizard of Oz? It's the early Wizard of Oz. It's a sci- I think you can find it online. Okay. And, and Oliver Hardy is the cowardly lion. It's okay. like a short. It's a silent film. Sure. But that was just, I saw that, I just was shaking my head going, oh, man. Yeah. Yeah, it's just... But in terms also of art, you wonder how much limited we have now, because if you hit, if you can't do anything without fear of offending people... Well, I mean... Does, you know, comedy's gone down, will go down the drain. Yeah, it's, it's in that weird mode, so it's just, you know, a matter of what someone's willing to you know do and see how it responds so well it's like tarantino for example he uses a certain word awful lot in movies <laughs> yeah he loves to make fun of race so i mean almost, that's the thing people almost, don't get and especially like if you do django unchained what do you think people talked about yeah then yes. i think the way he does it nobody would call him a racist yeah no i think he's um he's gotten a lot of flack especially oh, yeah, with yeah. um I know Spike Lee was, like, really riding him after Jackie Brown. Um, so. And I thought somebody came up to Samuel L. Jackson about some movie and complained about it. Yeah. So. Well, I mean, it's hard to do something controversial without offending anyone. You know yeah. what I mean? You're always going to offend people. So. And actually, if, you have, if you've seen Kingsman... Yeah. I, I just... I thought the villain there when he pulled out the Big Mac, Samuel L. Jackson, that villain was one of the funniest villains I've ever Oh, man, I don't remember. That's... But I do remember watching Kingsman. So. <laughs> He's in there. And also, this, those are actually pretty funny movies. That's right. Have you been thinking eventually we're not going to have it? I've been talking to Mary a little at Blackfriars. And in terms of theater, we're pretty dead now. You see yourself going back now again, oh, to do a th- uh, oh, King? <laughs> um, well, it's tough for... Um, for now, it's not. Well, like, even with my... Always with... Since I've been back in Rochester, it's always been... A, a lot of my jobs have been at night, so... Um, that makes it tough, difficult with rehearsal. But um, I'm looking to go to grad school right now, so I think it's going to be tough for me to do a play before I go back. In terms of grad school, too, I've heard, I mean, obviously schools are going to be open, I, and I'm hoping for the best. I mean, I I know if I was a college student, I've heard some say they're almost going to be prisoners in their dorms, and I don't see how you're, you're going to keep them from partying and doing right. all this stuff. Well, I don't need to party anymore, so no. I can't. And I do know, because I do do some stuff on St. John Fisher with the history department, that 
I know they open in. I think they open in August. They're going to steal Thanksgiving. I know it's going to be trying to you know limit class sizes. Yeah. So well, I'm shooting for fall of 2021. So I'm hoping. A lot of this has passed. Oh, that's all we can do. I mean, that's. Yeah. I mean, you were giving the updates a lot of times for us, and yeah, you just I, stopped. <laughs> I mean, you just think of like all the different places in the world where it can linger, and then all those people traveling back and forth. It's like you almost think that this can drag out for another five years. So that's just kind of. And it's interesting perspectives too. We had Victoria Rumler on the show, and she lived in France the last twenty years, so. I'll go back a little bit, actually jumping around. Kevin Smith did that movie Tusk, and there's a scene in it where they're looking for the serial killers in Canada. So Johnny Depp's a detective from Quebec. He pulls out guns, and he tries to give them to the people, and they won't take them. The one guy's like, I don't want it, I don't want it. You don't want guns, but you're American. Nice. And I guess like, <laughs> and I guess in, in terms of France, they announced it. They said to wear masks. Everybody did. Right. In terms of like Asian countries, what they said that you had to sign some places when you were going out. Right. Nobody complained. Right. Well, I mean, we think no one complained. Well, in terms of <laughs> that we know of, but yeah. in terms of it wasn't as seems like a big deal as here where we have the Illuminati taking away your rights and there's all the divisions and everything. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know. You know, it's just something we got to deal with. <laughs> yeah, I know. Are you looking to also, do you have any future film projects down the line? Are you open to Yeah, them no, I've, um, I've like, written in some capacity at least three other scripts. How has it taken, in terms, and also for filming 3.14, yeah. how long did it take you about? Um, we shot that in 16 days. That's so. incredible because I do know, like, some films I've been involved with, indie films, it's taken a couple of years. Yeah, no, we, um, it wasn't 16 straight. We did... Two shoots in August in 2010, and then we shot for six straight days um, in October. Uh, that was the majority of the Rochester stuff. And then I think we then we shot six days in California, and then we had some pickups where we just shot odds and ends stuff, and that was one day. So that's one, two, six, six. I'm, oh, actually, I'm probably missing another pickup day. And so we, it was 16 days. That's though. great. In terms yeah. No, of our- we, we had a... We were working at breakneck speed, so, I mean, you know, when you do that, sometimes you you wish you had, like, some more takes, some more angles, but I'm, I'm very happy with the look of the film, so. Um, I had seen the director who directed Jesus Christ Vampire Hunter and Harry Knuckles and the Pearl Necklace. He appeared at the Eastman. He's Odessa Films. I have not been able to find the website anymore, yeah, but yeah. he said, he's talking about how they filmed, and it took over two years, because he said people worked, we had to film on the weekends, yeah, yeah, it's yeah, it's better just to have all the money and shoot right through. Or then you lose money. Like for us, we got sick of going. You know, sometimes going for fundraising, you'd have to shut down, start yeah, again. Yeah, yeah, that's the part I don't like. I like about writing is that you can do it whenever you want. Here yeah. you have to raise the money and film is expensive, and it's harder to get a return on your investment now because there's. Um, it's neat. Digital's made it affordable to make a film, and it's given us a lot of different venues. Um, with streaming, you, people can get their film seen, but it's, it's. I think, um, maybe I'm not the best person to speak of it, it's harder to get a return on your investment. So it's the good and bad of both. So, um, And I know, like Kevin Smith said that for a while he retired because he said that, well, if you don't have a film... 
you know, with at least a fifty thousand million dollar budget, we can't even compete. It's like you have to make so much. If your films cost four million, you have to make so much back with ads and everything. But he's still making films, so yeah. I, I think where there's a will, there's a way. Yeah, I, I, you know, they'll come up with an excuse not to do something, and then all of a sudden they're like, "Well, I want to yeah. make a movie." So, um, but isn't it amazing now? It's like, well, this movie only made five hundred million dollars. It's a flop. Yeah, <laughs> isn't it amazing. Yeah, no, I mean, you know, I mean, it's there's a couple different levels of success it's like just making a good movie period and then That's how the much money you get a return on i investment. think also it's like make something good hopefully they will find it yeah you know there'll be an and i think now also as you said it depends what you before maybe you couldn't find anything now okay you like foreign films you like something different you can go out there and find it now yeah it's amazing with stuff yeah, I mean, I've, I've kind of gotten into this habit on Amazon. Not that everyone wants to throw more money at Bezos, but it's just, if there's a movie I want, I type it in, and it's like, rent it for $3, and boom, I sit so there I finally and I found them. the final program. It was a movie called The Last Days on Earth in, in America. It's based on a Michael Moorcock. Yeah. It's like, it's messed. It's just hard to even explain, but I've been wanting to see it. Lo and behold, there it is. Yeah. It was just under the final program. Right. And I guess Moorcock hated it so <laughs> But it's cool having you on. Yeah. And hopefully Fringe Fest information, you know, it's about the 15th of September. Right? Mine will be work. Uh, my movie is 3.14. It'll be playing probably for nine, ten days at Fringe Fest. You'll, I don't know how it's going to. It'll be streaming. I don't know whether it'll be right through Fringe or right through the RIT. It's part of the RIT um, showcase. We were supposed to be playing at the Little Theater. So that would have been cool, but at the same time, I mean... It's too bad they couldn't stick a screen up outside. <laughs> yeah, we could have done, like, oh, we could have, yeah, done the stuff at, like, Frontier Field. That would have been kind of fun. That would have been so. neat. And also, I, Fairport had its canals days. I only was on it. was my friend Meg Williams played there. And what they did, it was virtual, so they had a bunch of bands on Friday, and you streamed them. Yeah. So I wonder if they're going to just have the schedule streaming now. And I wonder, too, then, if you'll be able to just... You won't be able to miss. You have to miss events. Cause yeah, you you, you can watch whatever you want. Because that's like It'll, me. I'm actually my friend does a radio show today. I'm going to miss. It. I just go back and watch it. Yeah. <laughs> you won't get the electricity of the light. And you'll be able to give. There'll be links but... to donate. Hopefully, too. Sure. You know, give a little because we're not rich. Right. <laughs> and hopefully, you know, Brave New World is something. I also think a friend of mine said when this first happened, because of nine eleven, he was his old hat working at home. Yeah. So I think. You know, I don't want to predict where this is going to go, but it's sort of foolhardy at the moment. Right. We try to make the best of it, and hopefully, I'm not going to say 2021 is going to be better. Right. I don't want to talk about politics because nobody will listen anymore. <laughs> nobody wants that. <laughs> you know, I don't know. I got my mail in absentee thing, and I sent it in. I don't think, like, Somebody went in the mailbox and yeah. stole it and took my name. Or... Uh, I'll go vote in person. I mean, it's, I it's not like we live in a swing state. So <laughs> No, that's I told people that it's like, okay, like say I lived in like Iowa or something, yeah. but my vote, I kind of know who's probably going to win the state. So it's not like, well, you stayed home and so-and-so lost by one vote because you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, it's going to come down to those swing states, so... Yeah, but there's a comfort for that where it's like, if I, you know, and it's not on our shoulders as much. But he'll come back, hopefully, since you're going to be in town. Yeah, no, I, cool. it's, it's, I'm, I'm touched that you want to listen to me babble for an Oh, we'll have, when well, we can have more guests, because as I've said right now, we limit the guests because of, right. we're trying to be good, and yes, it's going down, but. 
I think we're only like three and a half feet apart right here. So yeah, I, but I think know. we're okay. Yeah. <laughs> so. We're farther apart. But I'm going to play something. You're not a musician, so right. I have my friends, the Fox Sisters, and I want to play. There's no reason I'm playing this really that relates to movies. I just felt like, what the heck, I'll play it because all the young dudes was flying in my head this morning for whatever reason. So here's their song from their album, Under the Stars, and I guess they're working on a new one. And when there are live shows, go see them because they're just entertaining and great. But this is a cut called Boogaloo Dudes by the Fox Sisters. So thanks, Greg, and happy filmmaking, and have a good year. Thank you, sir. See ya. Never 